All right. Good morning. How was everyone? Good to see you guys this morning. I want to encourage you to pull out your message notes. And uh, we are going to be continuing our series in or on the life of Moses. Um, We are probably, uh, in the series of Moses, we're probably like, maybe like 30 messages in. We got a few more to go. And so we're going to leave Numbers today, the book of Numbers. We're going to come back to Numbers next week because I want us to look at Numbers 27. And it's a powerful story about um, God, well, Moses pleading with God to give the people of Israel a shepherd to lead them into the promised land. It is a beautiful story, and we're going to look at it. So there's this succession plan from Moses to Joshua. And, um, you know, God's word is relevant and timeless. And so there's so many truths packed in that story that I want us to look at. Um, And obviously that uh, shepherd is Joshua, uh, Yeshua in the Old Testament. But it points to a greater good shepherd, which is Jesus, who ultimately will bring us into the promised land, our eternal home with the Lord. So kind of a a beautiful foreshadowing of what's to come. So we're going to unpack that next week. But today we're going to be in Deuteronomy. I want to encourage you to uh, turn there, pull out your notes. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, we're going to look at the first uh, 20 verses. And um, the, the nation of Israel, they are on the edge of the promised land. I mean, they are right there, right? Plains of Moab, they are, uh, uh, you know, next to the Jordan. They're getting ready to cross over. Um, And so, I mean, they can taste the promised land. They're there. Now, if you look at the, the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, written by Moses, Jesus tells us that. Um, obviously, someone had to come in and, and, and kind of add the, the part about Moses' death because when you're dead, right, you, you can't write scripture. So uh, that was inserted later. But um, Moses, the author of the Pentateuch, um, we know Genesis is the beginnings of all things. Uh, Exodus really is like the story of God um, raising up a deliverer, rescuing his people from slavery and oppression and, um, and tyranny. Of, um, of Egypt, and then um, Exodus is really God giving his covenant um, to his people, Mount Sinai, and then the book of Numbers is all about the wandering in the wilderness, right, and the people grumbling and complaining. I think we spent like six or seven weeks talking about their different attitudes, whether it was complaining or criticism or negativity or racism or just doubting God, right, not just not believing that God was for them, that God could give them victory. And so, um, but then you look at the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy, um, some scholars call the book of Deuteronomy the heart of the Old Testament. I love that. Uh, The end of the book of Deuteronomy, we're going to look at a few verses, is really the heart of the book of Deuteronomy. Um, Deuteronomy is one long speech that Moses gives to the nation of Israel. It is his final speech. It is his farewell address. And, and Moses is, is giving this spiritual charge to his people, to God's people. He retraces the steps of Israel. He retraces 
the, the history and the wandering in the wilderness kind of recaps like everything that they've gone through, how God has just been leading them and guiding them and providing for them. And he reminds them about this covenant that God made with them, that they are a covenant people. And, and this, this covenant relationship, right? They should live differently because of what God has done in their life. And then he gives um, quite a few um, material on blessings and curses. And so that kind of is Deuteronomy in a nutshell. It is his farewell address. It is his charge. He's reminding God's people as we go into the promised land, as Joshua is your leader, you know, trust God, believe in God, hold fast to the covenant that God has made with you. You know, final words have great impact. I don't know if you've ever been uh, with someone, maybe a, a grandparent or maybe a parent, um, that said some final words to you before they passed. Final words are lasting words. They, they uh, create an indelible mark um, on your soul and, and it's etched on your heart and your mind. It's something you'll carry with you for the rest of your life. This is why when you look at... Um, I'm going to chase this real quick, not my notes, but when you look at the book of Genesis and you see um, Jacob, Israel, blessing, right, uh, his sons, that's powerful, man. You know, these blessings um, last for a long time. All right, so here we go. How can we guard ourselves from spiritual amnesia? Really, this is the big idea. The big idea this morning that Moses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is conveying to us this morning in Deuteronomy 80s, how can we live in such a way where we will not forget God in our lives? And so I think it's so practical for us. So look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. You guys ready? All right. It says, the whole commandment that I command you today, so Moses is speaking to the nation of Israel, millions of people, he says, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. I want you to circle the word careful. You should be careful to do. That you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. Here's point number one. How do we guard ourselves from spiritual amnesia, from forgetting about God? Number one, we be careful to keep God's commands. Moses is saying, be careful to obey God in your life. Be careful to obey God. Moses is saying, keep your heart soft towards God, towards the things of God, right? Keep saying yes to God, right? No to sin, yes to God. When you look at the New Testament, Jesus spent time with his disciples hours before his betrayal and arrest and crucifixion. Um, he's in the upper room and he gathers this, this band of ragtag disciples, these men that have dropped everything. They've followed him for three, three and a half years. And Jesus gives one, um, he gives this one verse. Actually, it's a whole discourse, but he, he gives us this, this verse in John 14, 5, 15. He looks at them and he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, a lot of people, they look at you know, the Ten Commandments is all, oh, you know, these rules and they're, they're heavy and they're burdensome. Actually, the Ten Commandments, really the, the whole Mosaic law, all of the law that God gave to his people in the Old Testament, it wasn't heavy, it wasn't burdensome, especially the Ten Commandments, right? It was, it's actually, it's purposeful, right? It's God being gracious. Actually, 
When, when you know how you should live your life and the boundaries are set up, there's actually freedom, right? God, God uh, in, it was an act of mercy and love for God to like reveal these things to his people so that they would know how to live. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You'll keep my word. You know, our love for God is measured by our obedience to God. If you want to know, if you really love God, the test is, do you obey God? When God says, I want you to do, are you obedient? He says, I want you to go, do you go? I want you to give, do you give? When God says, I want you to serve, do you serve? Right? When, when God speaks, when God moves, when God makes something clear, do you embrace that? Cling to that, treasure that, right? Live that out in your life. So our love for God is measured in our obedience to God. It is not measured in how much we know about God. So a lot of people think they're spiritually mature because they, they, they know a lot of facts and they have data and they have a lot of head knowledge. Obedience always trumps knowledge. This is what Jesus is saying. But sometimes we put more stock in feelings than we do in growing in obedience. We put more stock in in knowing than growing in God. Ask yourself this question, what am I doing with what I know? What am I doing with what I know? Because your belief should affect your behavior. What you believe about God should determine the course of your life. It should shape your life. Not only shape your values, it should shape how you live your life. But the problem is, here's the problem, are you ready? We know more than we do. We know more than we do. I mean, we got, you know, I mean, a whole lot of knowledge and sometimes little application, right? Little, like applying God's word to our lives. Why is obedience so important? I want us to flush it out for a moment. In the passage... In the passage, it says that, he says, I want you to be careful, right, to keep God's commandments that you may live and multiply, that you may go into the land, right, that the Lord swore to give to your, to your fathers. There's, there's this reoccurring theme in Deuteronomy about, about living and multiplying, about blessings and curses. And so I want us to kind of for a moment take a pit stop and just look at this theme real quick, okay? Fast forward to the end of the book of Deuteronomy. If Deuteronomy is the heart of the Old Testament, the end of Deuteronomy is the heart of the book of Deuteronomy. Look at Deuteronomy 30, 15 to 16. So it's still this charge, this farewell address. Moses is challenging God's people to live for God and obey God and and not fall away from God. He says, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by, that's key, circle the word by, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then, notice the theme again, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of. Now I want you to notice the stages here. Stage one, it says, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, So it's conditional, right? You don't have to, right? If you obey. 
Sometimes we're going to obey, sometimes we're not. Stage two, or level two, is the word by. Now that's key. That tells us how do we ultimately obey God. Moses, the spirit of God, is, is, is letting us know this is how we really obey God. Third stage fleshes that out. We obey the commandments of God by loving God, walking in his ways, and keeping his commandments, his statutes, and his rules. Stage four is really the outcome, the promise, right? If you obey God's commandments by loving God, walking in his ways, keeping his commandments, right? Then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you. Here's what Moses is saying. Rock bottom, here's the truth. Obedience leads to life. This is what Moses is saying. Obedience leads to life. Obedience leads to blessing, right? God's saying, listen, if you obey my word, right, by making me priority number one, if you love me, I mean, all of the Bible, right? if if you want to know, what's the Bible all about? It's about loving God, loving people, right? It's, the Bible is the gospel. The gospel is God's redemptive story from Genesis to Revelation. Man is sinful, God pursues, God reconciles through the death of Jesus. We can only be made right with God because of Christ. And so obedience leads to life. Disobedience leads to death. Let me read verse 15 again. Moses says, see, I have set before you, kind of implying that there's a choice to be made here, right? Like the people, like you got a choice here, right? It's not done for you. You have to make decisions here. I've said before you today, life and good, death and evil. You have two options. You can choose life or you can choose death. Kind of like two scales, right? You have life, you have death. Which one do you want? Let me just be really honest here. If you want life, you have to walk with God. You have to walk with God. If you don't walk with God, if you reject God in your life, you will face death. This is what Moses is saying. Now let's, let's, let's pick up in chapter 30. Let's look at a few more verses, 17 and 18. He goes on. He says, but if your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. So Moses is saying, listen, if, if you don't worship the God of the Bible, you're going to perish. You're going to perish. You know, Solomon, one of the wisest men to have ever lived. I mean, he was so wise. People would travel far distances to, to listen to him, to get wisdom from him. He wrote over 3,000 Proverbs. He wrote scripture. At the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, he basically, I mean, here's a guy that like, he had the, like, the Midas touch because it was really, it was God just pouring his blessings in his life. But like Solomon, he had everything. He had everything. He had houses and gardens and vineyards. He, he had all the possessions. He had everything. He had more than he really wanted or needed in his life. We could chase that, right? Moses, I mean, Solomon, at the end of his life, he said, you know what? Life is two things. He summed it up two ways, two things. Fear God, keep his commandments. Here's a guy that, man, he, he lived it to the fullest. He experienced the blessed life. And he said, man, 
At the end of the day, life is about fearing God, having this, this reverence for God, having this, this awe towards God, this, this heart of worship, this heart of surrender, you know, uh, surrendering yourself to the authority of God in your life, letting him be number one. You surrender, right? And then keep his commandments, keep his word. Deuteronomy chapter 30, look at verse 19 to 20. Moses says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life, that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to give them. You know, Moses is saying, I'm setting before you life and death, blessing and curse, right? Choose life. Choose life. And if you choose life, you and your offspring will live. And, 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 and what is this, this life that God wants us to live? It's, it's loving God, it's obeying God, it's holding fast to God. You know what my, my, my dad has always said over the years, life is about choices. Life is about choices. Sometimes we make bad choices and then there's this ripple effect of like consequences that play out in our lives. But when we choose what's good and godly and honoring and we honor Jesus, you know what happens? God's blessings flow into our lives. You know, Moses says, listen, he is your life. He's your length of days. Choose life. And then look at Deuteronomy chapter eight. Let's kind of pick up the story where we're kind of planted today. Verses two and three, it says, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. How do you guard yourself from spiritual amnesia? Number two, you reflect often on the goodness of God in your life. You reflect often on the goodness of God in your life. Notice what the passage says, you shall remember the whole way, right? The whole story. Everything that God has done for you these last 40 years in the wilderness and how God humbled you and tested your heart and, and uh, he fed you with manna, all these examples. The goal was for God to shape his people. And God used trials to shape them, to conform them to his image. This is what God does. Trials are not meant to punish you. Trials are meant to build your faith, to draw, draw you closer to Jesus, to refine your character, right? Suffering has a purpose, right? And, and that purpose is to make you more like Jesus. You know, you look at the wilderness wanderings and you see God was present all along the way. He fought for them. He was with them. He provided for them. He went before them. He sustained them. He kept his promises to them. It's just beautiful. What's interesting is in Deuteronomy verse 3, Jesus actually quotes Deuteronomy and he applies it to his own temptation, right? And God is making it very clear to his people, listen, I fed you with manna for 40 years, but it's not about the manna. The, the manna did not sustain you. Spiritually, I was the one who sustained you. 
It was my word. It was my promises, right? It was my going out. That's what you needed to, to, to cling to to really give you life. Look at verses four to six, Deuteronomy. It says, your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. In the book of Hebrews, it says that God disciplines those whom he loves. And we know that actually discipline is a demonstration of God's love. Let me, um, let me camp out on discipline real quick, okay? Um, how, how many of you have kids? Raise your hand. How many of you have grandkids? Okay, this doesn't apply to the grandkids, right? I mean the grandparents, because if you're a grandparent, it's all about being fun, right? It's all about the sugar, being the greatest grandparents in the world, right? You don't have to discipline. You shouldn't discipline, right? You should have a blast with your grandkids. Some of you are like, well, that, that, that's not right. Come on, just, just go with what I'm saying here for a moment, right? But as a parent, your, obligate, your obligation is to raise your child in the Lord, right? Your children are a gift from God. They're a blessing, not a burden. They're a blessing, not a burden. Our culture sees children as, oh, it's a, it's a burden. I mean, at times it can be a burden. Middle school years are tough, you know, as you're raising them. You know, if you've got just elementary kids, just wait. Elementary years, they're coming for you, right? But they're a blessing. At the end of the day, children are a blessing. And God calls you as a parent to live out the gospel in front of your kids so that you reflect your heavenly father to your kids. You show them what God is like in your interactions with him, how you extend grace, how you forgive, how you give second chances, how sometimes you're just right? Sometimes you lay down the law, right? That's, that's who God is. And so you're called to live out this gospel, right? And, and to steward your children and, and to, um, to, to model the gospel in, in front of them. Your job is to discipline your children. If you discipline your kids, I, you know, me, me and Candace, our philosophy has always been, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to create boundaries, we're not going to create boundaries to be harsh or unreasonable. We give boundaries for their protection. I want to protect my kids. I, I don't want to just provide for them, make sure that they're fed, physically taking care of their needs. I want, to, I want to nourish their soul. I want to make sure spiritually they're good. And so boundaries, you have to set up boundaries. Parents who don't set up boundaries don't really care about their kids. That's just hard truth, hard fact. If you don't have any boundaries with your kids, you're not really loving them. You're not really, you're not really giving them the best. And so when it comes to discipline, God disciplines us. We are his children. I mean, this is what Moses is saying, right? It says, um, as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. And I would say this, if you are ever disciplined by God, it's a good thing. Because you're a part of his family. He's treating you as a, as a child. You're a child of the king. You know what? When it comes to discipline, no Christian ever said, you know, God grounded me. God is spanking me. God sent me to my room without supper. God has given me the spoon, right? God is giving me a good whooping, 
You don't hear believers talk like that. Like when's the last time you were like in a community group or you were, you know, just doing life, talking about life with maybe a close friend and you're just honest, you know, I think God's disciplining me right now in my life. That is so foreign. You know, we like to chalk it up to, it's the enemy. You know, it's the enemy doing work in my life. Maybe it's God disciplining you, right? So that he can produce, as Hebrews says, a a harvest of of righteousness, right? So that we'll be um, refined and more like Christ. Moses is just pounding this message into their hearts about obedience and holding fast to God and loving God and keeping his commandments and walking in his ways and fearing God. Look at verses 7 to 10. It says, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. I want you to just, I just want you to try to visualize. I mean, put yourself in the shoes of the Israelites. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They're tired. They're exhausted. They're probably really dirty, really stanky, right? God's been providing for them manna and water. They've done a whole lot of complaining, right? Not trusting God. I just want you to to picture, think about what they're thinking like in this moment. Moses says, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Here's what God is doing. Here's what Moses is doing. Moses is helping them guard themselves against spiritual amnesia. How? Third point. Believe that God will always keep his word no matter what. No matter what. Moses is reminding the people, listen, I know it's been rough for 40 years. I know it's been hard. You know, you were in Egypt, house of slavery. You were in the, in the wilderness for 40 years, fiery trials. But, but now the promised land is in front of us. That's God's provision. It's God's goodness. God's getting ready to do something amazing for us. Verse 7, it says, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. I want you to notice something real quick. It is his doing. It is God's doing. It's God moving, God working, God fulfilling his word. It is not because of them. It's, it has nothing to do with them. It's not their doing. He's the one bringing them in. He's the one leading them by the hand into a good land. God is saying this to his people. I'm going to bring you into not just any land. I'm going to bring you into a good land. A land where you will lack nothing and I will continue to bless your life. This is a good word for us. God is so good and so gracious and so kind to us, is he not? I mean, he's so good to us. Any good thing that we have comes from God. The, the good land, the good provisions, the good gifts, James, the half-brother of Jesus tells us every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I want you to think about what God has done in your life. Think about the goodness of God and how good God has been to you 
the gifts that God has given to you, the provision that God has given to you. You know, I was just sharing um, in my D group this past week about how good God has been to me in my own life. You know, I was, I was raised in Fairfield, California, Northern California. Um, by God's grace, my dad was called back into ministry after leaving the ministry for some time. And he actually left church for many years. He was walking with God privately, reading his Bible, listening to like J. Vernon McGee and Chuck Swindoll and these guys. But he wasn't like walking with God corporately with other believers. And he got disillusioned. And my mom was faithful to, to bring us kids to church every Sunday, week in and week out without my dad. I, I remember Sunday mornings leaving the house and my dad didn't go with us. And God called my dad back into ministry. He used the movie It's a Wonderful Life to bring my dad back, back to him. My dad surrendered. He resurrendered. Went back into the ministry. We moved to Lake Isabella right outside of Bakersfield, you know, the promised land, you know, promised land. And uh, I was a freshman in high school. It was like this country, hick town. I'm from the city. I talked different. I dressed different. I was just like, it was just so, I was like in a foreign land. And it was that year that God was drawing me close to him. I got saved a few years earlier, but my freshman year, it was, it was like I was, God had just captured my heart. And he was, he was, he was wooing me. He was drawing me to himself. And um, it was in high school that I met Candace. My dad loaded up the church van, went to Bakersfield, and it was an all-skate night. I remember going down, and, and my buddy was next to me, and, and I see this girl skating. And I looked at my buddy, and I said, someday I'm going to marry that girl. True story. My, my kids don't believe me, but that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. It wasn't some prophetic thing. I just was like, this girl was glowing. I did not, I, I, I did not know who she was. But I was like, I, I got to get to know this girl. I got I to meet this girl. And um, so started dating, got married, poor, young. Her uncle is a pastor at a church. It's because, so God gave me the greatest girl in the world. And then because of not just that, but through my wife, God gave me a spiritual mentor. Her uncle is a pastor. Well, he was a pastor just recently because of cancer. He had to resign. And this man had a tremendous impact upon my life. And he, he mentored me. And he, he showed me what ministry was about. And it was because of him and his connections being a trustee at a seminary that I was able to get through like seminary, you know, financially. I look back and I, and I see God's goodness. I see the landscape of my life and I just see God's goodness. And, and I say that just to encourage you, like look back on your life and see the landscape of God's hand, God providing and God guiding and God being good to you. Moses is, is telling the people like, listen, God has been so good to you. Don't forget about the Lord. Don't forget about what he's done for you in the past. I want you to look at verses 18 to, verses 11 to 18. And um, it says this, take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by, by not keeping his commandments and his rules and, and his statutes, which I command you today. 
least when you have eaten and are full and, and have built good houses and live in them. And, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. I would say this section, verses 11 to 18, is my favorite in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Here's point number four. Recognize that any prosperity comes from the hand of God. Any prosperity, any wealth, anything good, anything you own, it's not because of you, it's not because of your education, it's not because of your IQ, it's not, it, it's not because of you know, some coincidence, some, some luck, you know. Um, it, 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 it's not because you know, your tenacity, you, know, you grinded it out. No, it's because of God. Everything you have is because of God. Every blessing you have is because of God. Every dollar you have is because of God. Right? There's a warning here. And, and the warning is in verse 11. Like, do not forget the Lord your God. Like, you see this, this reoccurring, you know, truth that Moses is just hammering away. Do not forget about God. Three ways we forget about God in the passage that we just read. Number one, we choose not to do the right thing. I mean, bottom line, like, that's how... That's how a slow, gradual drift takes place in your life. You just consistently choose not to do the right thing. Verse 11, take care, lest you forget the Lord your God, by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes. How do you drift? How do you fall away from God? It's slow, it's choices, and it's you saying, God, I know what you've said in your word, but I'm putting you and I'm putting a heart of obedience on the back burner because I want to do my thing. I'm going to work my agenda. You know, it's my life. I, I'm going to live it to the fullest. Well, when you do that, you ultimately forget about God. Number two, we find ultimate satisfaction in earthly things. We find ultimate satisfaction in earthly things. In, in the passage, it says that Moses is like, listen, you know, when your bellies are full, you know, when you've, when, you've, uh, when you've built these custom homes, when you have this career, this livelihood that's thriving, the money is, is growing, and your life appears to be so successful. I mean, on the outside looking in, man, you are, you've made it. You're successful. You did it. You done it. Verse 14. Then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God. The temptation is, when, when you begin to puff your chest down, yeah, I did it, I'm the man, I'm the woman, right? I did it. Temptation creeps in. Pride is the original sin. It is the mother of all sin. Satan is going to use pride to trip you up, just like he tripped up Adam and Eve. That's what he does. Listen, 
Let's just be honest. Satan, he has no new tactics. He has the same old strategy, right? Steal, kill, and destroy. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Pride of life. This is what he's doing. He's going to get you to just be so enamored and so just, yeah, it was me. I did it. No, no, you, you didn't do it. Because here's the third way we forget about God. We lay claim to something that we didn't do. We, we take credit for something that we didn't do. Uh, and we are so guilty of this. Let's be honest, we're guilty. Verse 17, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Notice the emphasis, my power, my hand, me. It's self-centered. It, it's me-centered, right? There, there's, there's nothing about God, his hand, his power, his working, the truth is, it wasn't us. It was God's blessing poured out into our lives. And that should cause us to turn back, like the story of the 10 lepers, right? They left, only one came back, only one turned back, only one came back to Jesus and gave thanks. That's what God wants us to do. Turn back, give thanks to God. Verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Here's the deal. Everyone in life is going to face two things. Here are the two, here, here are the two maybe biggest temptations that are going to come your way in your life. Are you ready for them? You're going to face adversity, and you may face prosperity. I would actually say, because we live in America, you know, I like to tell my kids when they complain, whine, they Say, I don't have this, I don't have that, or, I mean, honestly, they, it's, that's very rare that they say that, so I probably shouldn't even have said that as an example, but, um, yeah, because they don't say that, honestly, but there's complaining um, about maybe not, them not, like, getting their way with certain things, kind of similar. Um, it's like first world problems, man. Like, <laughs> go on a mission trip, like, let me, let me take you somewhere to really show you poverty. Let me show you how people are living in cardboard boxes. People are selling water in Ziploc bags just to be able to feed themselves during the day. I'll show you poverty. Everyone faces two things, adversity and prosperity. Adversity tends to drive us to God. We hit rock bottom. We've made a mess of our life. We, maybe we, we've hit some tribulations, some trials, we, we're experiencing suffering. What does it do? What does it cause us to do? It causes you to look up. It causes you to look up to God, right? It causes you to, to, to go to the one that can actually help you, that can get you out of the jam, out of the mess. Adversity shows that we are dependent. We need God's help. We, we need his strength. But, but prosperity tends to drive us away from God. And the reason I say that is because we tend to think that we don't need God. When your life becomes so comfortable, let's just, let's just take a moment and really think about it. We live in San Diego. I didn't even know this place existed. And I lived like three and a half hours away my whole life, right? I came down to San Diego one time. I mean, we moved here in 09. This place right here, I mean, the, the culture is you have everything at your fingertips, you have the great weather. You have all the beaches. 
You have all the entertainment, restaurants. I mean, you have it all. I mean, try, try living in Bakersfield. <laughs> try living in Bakersfield, y'all. I mean, you come here, you got everything. The, the culture is, I mean, you got, you got like really smart people that live here. You know, we moved down here and we just started meeting all these like smart people. These engineers, you know, and I just would feel so dumb. Me and Kansas, we, we just feel so dumb around them, you know, like, let's go back to Bakersfield, man. Let's hang out with oil, oil workers and agricultural people and blue collar, man, you know. No, but for real, though, high paying jobs, everything that you would ever want at your fingertips. I think this is why there are so many people that I don't need God. I have everything. And so when it comes to our oikos, our mission field, I'm trying to figure out a way to say this. <clears throat> this is just more of a raw message today, not real polished, okay? You guys okay with that? One avenue or way to evangelize people in your oikos who don't know Jesus is to get them to understand or show them that you're not living for the things of this world. That this, this world doesn't have a, a vice grip on you. Like your ultimate satisfaction and joy is not found in the temporal fleeting possessions of this world. Your treasure is found in Christ. Your joy is found in Christ. Right? It's not about the paycheck. It's not about the job. It's about Jesus and how he has changed your life. He's radically changed your life. And um, no one can argue against that. Okay, let's, let's end. Verse uh, 19 to 20. Um, and if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. So Moses is like giving this final warning. If you forget God, you're going to perish. Here's point five. Realize that idolatry leads to death. You know, an, an idol can be anything. Um, an idol wants to replace God in your life, wants to crowd God out, substitute God out, dethrone God from the rightful position in your life. Here's what an idol wants. An idol wants majority real estate of your heart. And eventually, it will become more important to you than Jesus because if you, you feed that, right, you feed that idol more than you feed your relationship with God, here's what's going to happen. You know, why is, why is that the case? Why is there going to be this, this shift, right? Because idols rival for our affections. They beg for our attention. They, they demand to be worshipped. At the beginning of the Ten Commandments, I mean, God laid it out, and he started with the, the most foundational truth. He said, there shall be no other gods before me, no other little Gs, little gods. Exodus 23, right? 20 verse 3. God is saying, I am the one true God, and I want to be most loved in your life. God wants to be your greatest treasure, your greatest reward, the one that you love above all else. 
And the problem with idols is they fight for our love. This is why Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24 says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. You know, we think, we think when we think jealousy, it's like negative, right? It's like a negative, like sinful emotion. But with God, it's, it's pure, it's holy, and it's glorious. It literally means God has a desire to have an exclusive relationship with you. I want you to think about that for a moment. He's a jealous God. He has purchased you with the blood of Jesus. That means he owns you. He owns your life. He owns you. He loves you. He's crazy about you. It's you and him, not you, him, and a heart full or a room full of idols. It's this divine jealousy. God has this fierce love for you. Like his banner over you is his love and this divine jealousy. He has purchased you. He loves you. He has an awesome plan for your life. So he doesn't want any idol coming in and wrecking damage, wrecking havoc in your life. Moses lands the plan by saying, listen, if you do not worship God, you will perish. Here's, here's the truth. As we walk through life, you can choose life. If you choose life, you choose blessing. You choose God being a part of your life. If you refuse God in your life and you reject God, you choose death. You choose curses. You choose a life separate from God, which eventually leads to an eternal life, an eternal separation from God for eternity. But God's provided a way for you to know him. And that's the good news. The good news of Jesus is this. God created the universe. He created you in his image. He sent his son Jesus who came, the champion of grace, the hero of heaven. He left the glory of heaven, the throne room of glory, and he came through a birth canal, born of a virgin, sinless life, never sinned. And he, he died on a cross. He died for your sin that you could never pay on your own. You have a spiritual debt that you owe God that you can never pay. He paid that debt. And that debt has been accruing. He's paid it in full. Your sin nailed to the cross, all your sin, payment in full. But not only did he die on Good Friday, he was buried and he rose again the third day. He conquered the grave, he conquered death, which means he's conquered your sin, he's conquered your guilt and your shame and your condemnation, and, and you can know Christ if you turn from your sins and you place your faith in Christ. That is the good news. The good news of God's saving grace. It's not what you can do, right? It's, it's not your performance, your morality, right? Your self-righteousness. No, it's Christ. It's him alone, grace alone, faith alone. You come to Jesus. You give your life to Christ. He will transform your life. Choose life. If you choose Jesus, you choose life. You choose blessing when you invite God into your life. Let's pray.